Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready for a different kind of Vegas experience with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. He travels on to wherever he must. A chess knight of silver is his badge of trust. There are campfire legends that the plainsmen speak. Of the man with the gun, of the man called Paladin. Paladin, Paladin, where do you roam? Paladin, Paladin, far, far from home. Far from home. Far from home. Let's welcome back Kate Spencer, the author of Art and Politics in Have Gun, Will Travel, the 1950s television western as ethical drama. And we've been discussing the impact of Have Gun, Will Travel, a 20th century television western that presented a unique look at the American West. You know, one of my favorite things, and, and if you become a fan of Paladin, and I think you should, you'll notice that he gets really frustrated and annoyed. I mean, his look sometimes when he hears stupidity of some kind, whether it's racism, sex, or whatever, he just looks annoyed with it. And and I think that was, that sometimes speaks more than even the words. Right. A, a bitter contempt sometimes for those sorts of closed-minded attitudes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk a little more about the... The dealings with women and minorities, because, again, okay. in the 1950s, first of all, things were, in 1960s, it took a while, and it seemed like it took even longer for television to adapt to what was going on culturally. People were put into their particular, again, getting into stereotypes, they're put into mm-hmm. their particular groups, and that was it. You didn't see many changes. As you say, and it was part of who Richard Brune was, he was out to change that, and Right. How was that received at that time? Because that was different. Um, there doesn't seem... When, when you were dealing with the Chinese or mm-hmm. Mexicans or... There, there's a few episodes about Asians, Chinese, and Japanese. That seemed to fly pretty well. The problem came if you were trying to work with a black character or a black actor because the Southern affiliates were very, very, very uncomfortable with that. And so, it and television is designed to make money. And so the networks got really antsy about anybody who's pushing the envelope too hard. There was, um, this isn't about Have Gun, it's about Bonanza. The first time there was a serious treatment of a black character on Bonanza was 1964. And 
the the southern affiliate the networks were so worried about the southern affiliates because if you, if you offended those viewers they would boycott the 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 sponsors and that sort of thing and so the network said oh we're not going to broadcast this episode and all four of the principal actors all four of the actors playing the cartwrights said if you don't if you don't air this episode we're resigning and so the network said, okay, and they put the episode on, and actually there was no no, no uh, fallback from it, no fallout from it. But it's a really delicate thing. And so what Boone was doing on Have Gun Will Travel, especially with black actors and characters, was quite extraordinary for the time. It's Still small numbers compared to the to the totality, but in fact... Black actors and characters were not showing up on television at all in this period, except in very minor and menial roles, waitresses or chauffeurs or yeah. butlers or that sort of thing. Um, you know, Rochester on the Jack Benny show and and uh, maid servants. There was a, and always in a subservient position and always with this crazy language. Well, you know, the, it really shows the power. The world of entertainment has, and really some of the great things. I mean, with Sinatra doing what he did for Vegas was really uh, right. so, and it just took that guts. The Bonanza story is great, and you know we think of it now; it seems ridiculous, but you're, you're right. That was a real issue at that time. I mean, Nat King Cole had a show, and they did run him off the air, and Nat King right. Cole was terrific. And right. Uh, right, because the people in the South didn't want to see it at the time. It's, it's it, nope. It's hard to nope. imagine at this nope. at this stage. The first serious, regular character on a television drama that was black was Bill Cosby on I Spy in 1965. That is and a, that's late. Yeah. <laughs> Holy moly, you know. It so, really is. You know, you, you mentioned like Rochester on uh, the Jack Benny show. Now, the good thing about that was they treated him with a certain amount of respect. And in fact, mm-hmm. they, you know, they, I remember the New Year's shows. This goes even back to radio. He would always have a drink with uh, Rochester and so forth. So in that sense, it was good. But you're right. I mean, a lot of that stuff was all it, it, it had to be a domestic or so forth. I remember the big right. deal when Julia came on. It really wasn't exactly. a great show, but it was, it was. The point was, hey, here's somebody that's a star. It, it, it just, it's just and it was a black woman. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk a little about some of the TV down there, because your book also covers the TV western at the time. And again, a lot of people now, when they talk about it, think that all the shows in the fifties and sixties were shoot 'em ups and uh, that thing. Well, there was some good programs out. I mean, Gunsmoke did have. Uh, was on an adult western, a wagon train, right. who I've become a fan of. There's some good stuff there. So there was some good work being done in westerns. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had a, they had different goals. In the book, I compare Have Gun to the three most popular of the westerns. I mean, there were like 35, 40 westerns on mm-hmm. at the same time in the late 50s and early 60s. It was just every every place you turned was a western. But the three longest-running and most successful uh, besides Have Gun were Gunsmoke, Wagon Train, and Bonanza. But Gunsmoke is very much... uh, All three of those shows feature four regular continuing characters. On on Gunsmoke, it's uh, Matt Dillon, the the Marshal, and Doc Adams, and Chester, the Deputy, and Miss Kitty, who runs the Long Branch Saloon. And 
that little community group is really tight-knit, is close, and so the audience is as interested in their interactions as it is in the story. That's what brought people back to the show over and over and over again, is those beloved characters. And Wagon Train had uh, Major Seth Adams, the, the wagon master, and Flint McCullough, the scout, and then the main driver and Charlie Wister, the cook. So again, the, the interactions among those characters was one of the things that drew audiences to the show. But Wagon Train was really unusual among the Westerns because the concept there was like a, a TV drama. It, they wanted to do it like a little, a, a little mini-movie every week so that the, the continuing characters are much of the time just supporting characters, not the center of the story which allowed the network to hire really prominent actors that could attract people like, oh, Shelley Winters, to television, which was a big deal. And it would also attract audiences then to turn in, tune in to see these big stars because you could create a whole hour-long story around these characters and really develop them much more thoroughly than you can in a half-hour show. Well, that was a big difference, too, right? I mean, the fact, Have Gun's a half hour, and yet I I think it's a great half hour because it isn't like you're left thinking, well, you know, boy, there was a lot more they could have dug into. Maybe that's a a credit really to the quality of the writing. They were able to wrap up those things in a half hour, and you feel like you really saw something. Right. It It was a combination of factors. It was the writers who had something to say, and... In those days, a 30-minute television show had 25 minutes of script, whereas today it's more like 18 Yeah, <laughs> with all the extra commercials. So the writers wrote densely, and they hired directors who could pack a lot of material, and especially Andy McLaughlin, who directed almost half of the episodes over, uh, over, the, over the six years. He was really gifted at packing a lot of information into a very brief time period. He uses the camera in a way that makes the, the show visually very dense compared to any of the other shows I saw. Even when McLaughlin also directed a lot of Gunsmoke episodes, which started off as half-hour shows and only later went to, to the hour format. Right. McLaughlin's episodes on Gunsmoke, the half-hour ones, are not nearly as densely shot as the ones he shot for Have Gun Will Travel. Everybody, everybody involved in that show, in Have Gun, Will Travel, is really interested in making something really substantial in that small package. It's just, it's held up so well. Mm-hmm. And I want to get into that, but before we do, I want to talk about a couple of negatives that come okay. up that I've heard from. One is the character Hey Boy. Now... <laughs> I get it. I mean, that's probably how everybody called them, you know. Uh, In the same way, if people thought of it like Radar O'Reilly, it's like Radar, you know, hey boy. But people have a problem with that. What was the the story behind that? It's interesting. Partly it's a reflection of the time. But, and it does sound demeaning, except there's one episode in the first season where some other customer is walking through the hotel lobby and calls hey you and hey boy turns to him and says not hey you hey boy (laughs) so he insists on that as as his name he doesn't think of it as they're calling him boy 
he thinks of it right. as, hey boy, it's his name. But what's important to recognize, and this is not something that casual uh, viewers might notice, there are several episodes where it's made clear that Paladin knows what Hey Boy's real name is, Cam Tong, and is familiar with his family and respects him as a person. It's not what I what I said was that it's a hierarchical relationship. Yeah, Hey Boy is is a kind of a servant to Paladin as he is to everybody else in the hotel. But it's not condescending. Paladin never hardly ever condescends to Hey Boy. And the times that he does, there are a couple of episodes I find uncomfortable um, where Paladin teases Hey Boy in a kind of a mean way. But part of the problem is there was no set writer's room for any TV series then. All of it was done freelance. So every episode is written by a different writer. And some of the writers who didn't come back very often didn't get that relationship in quite the same way. So it's easy to misinterpret that relationship, but if you look at it in its totality, there's a lot to respect there, and there's, there's a very real sense of respect. More with Kate Spencer, author of Art and Politics in Have Gum Will Travel, the 1950s television western as ethical drama. Hey, if you're interested in this kind of conversation, please let me know at Stephen at VegasNeverSleeps.com. That's Stephen at VegasNeverSleeps.com. And this is Vegas Never Sleeps. Hi, I'm Michelle Johnson, and you're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Gentle Giants Dog Food Batman. I'm Burt Ward, Robin from the Batman TV series. I was the Caped Crusader, and now I'm the Canine Crusader. After rescuing and feeding 15,500 dogs for 23 years, my wife and I created a natural, low-fat, heart-healthy, made-in-America dog food and special feeding and care program designed to help all dogs live amazingly longer, healthier, happier lives. Our dogs are living as long as 27 healthy, active years. Yours can, too. That's twice their normal lifespan and triple for some breeds. Would you like your dog to live as long as 27 years and still be active and healthy? Gentle Giants Dog Food is complete nutrition for all dogs and puppies, all ages and sizes, and is different from other dog foods without the greasy coating and high fat content that can shorten your dog's life. Try our Gentle Giants life-enhancing dog food for the longer, healthier, happier life of your dog. Now you can get generic Viagra shipped to your door for about $2 a pill. Get the same impact for less. Call Steel Man Pills now and get the same blue pill for about $2 a pill. Call now for the 50-pill special and save even more. Plus, get a free bonus. 800-870-3609. 800-870-3609. That's 800-870-3609. Have your collectibles taken over your house? Well, maybe it's time for those treasures to find a new home. Place to go is baseball cards and bobbleheads, where they are always buying. 
If you've collected it, there's a good chance they'll buy it. No collections are too large or too small. Call Baseball Cards and Bobbleheads at 310-534-4180 or text them pictures of your collection. That number again is 310-534-4180. Are you in bad pain? You know what I mean. Your knees hurt. Your shoulder hurts. Your elbow and back are constantly killing you. And I'm sure you've tried every pain pill or cream available at the drugstore. Am I right? Well, here's something you haven't tried. Pain Magic. Pain Magic is not available at any drugstore. The only place you can get it is by calling the special toll-free number I'm about to give you. And to make things even better, call right now and find out about our buy one, get one free offer. We're so confident it'll work for you that we offer a free bottle with your purchase. No prescription required. Call now to learn how you can get pain magic and get rid of your pain. Remember, your results may vary. 800-419-1971. 800-419-1971. That's 800-419-1971. Now, let's return to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. We are talking with Kate Spencer, the author of Art and Politics in Have Gun Will Travel, the 1950s television western as ethical drama. Kate explores the western TV lawman, gunfighter, outlaw, as well as television's presentation of racial and ethnic minorities and women. And speaking of respect, the other thing that I have heard, and I think that these are people that simply don't know much about the show or only saw one his relationship with women, now, I think it was incredibly forward-looking, I mean, especially at that time, but it is true, he loved good-looking women. I mean, that was that's obvious, you know, at that time, and that was part of his, uh, I wouldn't say, I, I would never compare him as a playboy approach. I heard somebody say he's like a Hugh Hefner. I go, oh, my God, I, I can't oh, think no. of anything less. Yeah. No, no, no. What What's going on? That this it's It's complicated. There's two different kinds of women in episodes of Have Gun Will Travel. There are the women who, in, who occupy the Carlton Hotel episodes when he's in San Francisco. These are the really lovely ones that he takes out on dates and takes out for dinner and takes to the theater. It, the, those, epi- those relationships are very flirtatious. Uh, we very seldom see him with the same woman twice. Right. So he clearly appreciates their beauty. What interested me was that none of these are women for sale. None of these are street women. They are all women of his own class, which means they don't need his money. He's not paying money for this. It's, it's a mutual relationship. The ground rules are all the same. Everybody's got the same power. They're on the same level. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. So, and yes, they're really pushing the envelope for 50s television on this. There are some clear implications of sexual activity. Um, in the past or in the future with these women. But when he's out on the trail, when he's working, the women he encounters there, you don't see any of that kind of flirtatiousness. He deals with these women as people, as human beings with problems and concerns, and his focus is on how to help them uh, or how to keep them. When some of the women he encounters are people who are causing problems, and so his object is to 
block them from doing negative things or hopefully to convince them to behave better. He runs across saloon girls, which basically was the uh, 50s TV word for prostitutes, right? Right. And he always right. treated them with a certain amount of respect. You know, always. he was, yeah, right. And he, it wasn't that he was interested in doing any of that stuff, but rather yeah. he respected, and he kind of under, he seemed to understand that sometimes that was the only option in those days in that place that yeah. women had. Usually. And the other factor there that differentiates them from, say, the saloon girls in Gunsmoke, other than Miss Kitty, is that all of these saloon girls and waitresses and the women in those lower class, lower economic class activities are always real people. They have, they have textured personalities. They have backstories. They have reasons for doing what they do. They're self-aware. And we, we are in, in, invited to understand why they've made the choices they've made, that sometimes, more often than not, this isn't a choice. It's the only thing that's available to them. And they're all different from each other. Well, the other thing that was impressive, and people don't talk about it much, is he respected love. He used to think that, oh, if you found the perfect woman for you, that's the God's greatest gift. And, you know, right. he was, and he, he always, uh, he respected other people's relationships. I mean, again, not something you saw a lot in the Old West, or at least in yep. the Old West that we see. Right, not in, the, not in the visions of the Old West that we get in the Western. Yeah, exactly. One of the characters, there, there's one time when he actually does have a, a couple of times where he gets a serious relationship with a woman. Uh, one is in the first season with Phyllis, the Dr. Phyllis Thackeray. And this is a woman that he admires a great deal and, and vice versa. And they really make a connection and they talk about the possibility of a relationship, but they recognize that she's not going to give up her job as a doctor and he's not going to give up his job there is no place where they can create a life together that doesn't require undue sacrifice from either of them. And so they say, wow, wish we could, but this is where we are. It's a very grown-up kind of yeah. attitude. He had the kind of, um, not only the job, but the personality of the man and the character was such that you didn't expect that. You weren't looking for that. People are always looking for Matt Dillon to settle down with Miss Kitty. Well, that wasn't that wasn't going to happen with Paladin. Nope. <laughs> nope. It, it 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 didn't fit with who he was and what his priorities were. His priorities were public. His name is a clue. I mean, obviously, it's it's a nom de guerre, right? It's not it's it's not his birth name, but a Paladin is a knight who goes out and tries to help people. He's, he's a lance for hire. And that's what our paladin is. He is a man who goes out to fix things that other people can't fix. The legal system breaks down, or the local lawman is either not present at all, or for some reason not able to handle this problem or solve this problem. That's where he goes. Yep. He's there to fill in those holes to help make it possible for civilization to establish itself in, uh, in this very fragile frontier area. Now, the other thing was, 
we, we've been talking about his qualities and so forth. But one thing was, he did do pro bono work, so to speak. But he charged a lot, and, and he was worth it. I mean, and that's part of right. the interest, of the, and that's why he can live the lifestyle he can, because he, yeah. he charged a lot. <laughs> he charges a lot from people who can afford it. Right. From the people who can't, he'll take what they can offer. Sometimes, I, w- I was just reviewing some of the the episodes and I, and I was struck by re- remembering um, the episode called The Hanging of Aaron Gibbs. This is the, the episode where Odetta plays this woman who is on her way to meet her husband who is about to be hanged for a crime he actually committed. It was mm-hmm. he, and, he and his fellow, gang, uh, fellow criminals tried to rob a mine payroll and... In the process of it, there was an unintended explosion that collapsed the mine and killed 14 miners. And so all three of these men are going to be hanged. His wife is on his way there to, to see him to say goodbye and to take his body home. She's crossing the prairie, and when Paladin finds her, she's standing over the body of her dying mule. There she is with her wagon in the middle of nowhere. And so... He says, okay, let me hook up my, I'll hook up my horse to your wagon, and I will take you to where you need to go. She wants to pay him. It's clear she's got nothing. But she has a $10 gold piece, and she offers him the gold piece, and he takes it. And I think it's really important, not only that he, that he is willing to do this for so little, but that he doesn't just say, oh, I'll do it for nothing because you haven't got anything. He doesn't insult her. He right. doesn't give charity to a woman who is poor but obviously proud. And I think that is very telling about his understanding and, and compassion for human beings. You know, Kate, I think this is one of the reasons why people love the show so much is you and I can sit here and talk and we feel like we know him to the point that we know how he thinks. And there's very few oh, yeah. characters that are like that. Right. You know, it right. made me think of it, the film... Pulp Fiction, if you recall, Mm -hmm. there was one scene where Bruce Willis was caught up in this thing, accidentally got into this fight with this other guy, and they ran into this horrible place, and were doing all sorts of awful sexual things, they would trap people, so Bruce Willis gets away, and he goes to the door, and he just looks... And he's like, nah, and he had to go back in and try to help. And when I saw <laughs> right. that, I, I thought of Richard Boone. I really did. That's the kind of thing Paladin right. would do. You couldn't let that go, even though that was right. a risk. You just, it, it, isn't it great that you could develop a character? I mean, this brings it all together, right, Kate? I mean, and it, and it's, Richard Boone was great. Nobody else could have played it, I don't think. No. But it, no. Wasn't, but it, it wasn't just him. It was the writing. It was the producing. It's just, I guess every now and then you get something really special, and what a what a wonderful uh, show it was, and really a character paladin. Yeah, the whole the whole package, and it was the show is the way it is because of Richard Boone, because that's what he wanted it to be. He was dedicated to the ensemble, the totality of it. So he created this wonderful atmosphere. Behind the scenes, people called it the happiest set in Hollywood because he hired crew people whom he respected and he turned them loose and, and, and stood back and let them do their work. Um, he hired actors that he respected and they worked with them 
again with the directors and the uh, and the writers, everybody was part of this, and it was all not for making him look good, but for making the show the best possible thing it could be, and the values that in the show represent what mattered to Richard Boone. Interestingly enough, okay, this was at the time the most liberal show out there for for that for that yeah. period of time. No question about it. And yet, there didn't seem to be that backlash. I mean, if you did something now, half people would love it, half the people would hate it, you know? Right. It wasn't like that then. Afterwards, after after time, I wasn't there at the tower. I was a little kid. I don't remember that. But what you see, you don't see that particular uh, I pick a side kind of thing. And that speaks again to the quality of what, of what he was what he was putting out there. I mean, even if you disagree with him, you had to respect the way he was going about it. Right. Well, and, and there were a lot of people in Hollywood who hated his guts because he did not suffer fools gladly. He he always had a problem with authority, but it's authority that is empty. You know, the empty suits and the shallow values and the people who don't know what they're talking about. He would just stand up and say, nah, we're not doing that. And if someone came onto the set and did not give their best, he would not put up with that. He would He would throw a fit, and his anger was really scary. Yeah, I can um, believe that. <laughs> if you were doing your best, even if you weren't perfect at it, he, he brought in a lot of his students. He had acting classes. And some of the, some of the people that he brought on to, to do roles were members of his acting class. There was one episode, in fact, that he did that was virtually all staffed by his acting students and members of the crew who were interested in acting. That was the, the one with where Hal Needham is the star. Dream Girl, end of, end of uh, season five. And uh, if, if you were doing your best, he was happy with that. It was the people who tried to blow it off or who didn't give it their all that he got really upset about. One sad thing, and I kind of hate to end on this when we our discussion of Richard Boone was, the Richard Boone show was really a disappointment to him. And you know what? It's such a great idea where it was going to be an anthology kind of series where sometime, sometimes he was just start, company. right. And which, which, if they'd have given it some time, but television doesn't do that. You know, it's, there's very few stories like Hill Street Blues where, you know, they, they have lousy numbers, but they think this or Seinfeld, you know. Generally right. speaking, there's not a lot of patience because I think that's something right. that would have been huge and really kind of disappointing to him. It actually... It was artistically very successful, and in fact, the audiences loved it. But the network, they hadn't really intended to give him a full season. They, they basically lied to him and told him he was going to have this. This was his goal for his entire life. This was what he wanted most. Um, it represented everything that he cared most about in the theater, and he had this incredible half-season and then the network canceled it without even notifying him. He saw it in the newspaper before they were able to get the cancellation notice to him in person. It's so sad. It, it was a betrayal that he never got over. And, you know, I think in today's world, I think there'd be different places because there's so many mm-hmm. opportunities with streaming and so forth and all these different areas. All of the cables. Yeah, there's plenty of niche markets where this would have sold. Yeah, It, it would have been great. very successful, yeah. And don't you think, honestly, uh, and we'll close with this, I think Have Gun Will Travel 
would definitely do well today. I mean, if if you could move it, I mean, a remake wouldn't work. I, I don't think you could no. do that. They contemplated that, I think, with Johnny Depp um, and <sighs> returning it to its original modern setting. But fortunately, from my point of view, fortunately, it didn't go anywhere. I think the major, I think if you tried to reintroduce this today, what would happen is that some of the special effects would not fly with a modern audience. There, there are places where it's, where it's not up to modern standards, in, technologically speaking. I'm not sure, but in the, in, the, in the things that count most, in the heart of the show, the ideas and the characters, yeah, I think it would fly. But rather than have somebody try to make a movie of it and so forth, and people oh, think that's the real thing, it'd be awful, no, right? No, 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 <laughs> You're no, much no. better off going out and, and doing what you did and go out and buy, and what I did, you go out and buy the uh, the DVD uh, right. series. And, yeah, and the DVD, it, uh, for, uh, for a mercy, all of those are in chronological order. When I started with the with the videotapes, it was just four episodes per tape from any random order in the series. So it was it was nuts. But yes. And it's on places like Me T V and uh yeah. Heroes it's out and there. Icons. Yeah, it is. And it, it'll always make me stop. If it's on, I will watch it regardless. I don't care how many times I've seen it. Because mm-hmm. it, it's one of those shows, too, where you'll pick up on something. You remember the story, but, wow, I didn't realize he did that, you know? The, those details. Yeah, absolutely. And to watch it really, really closely because of the skill of the directors. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so you do watch that. The other thing you can do, and I really think you should, is go out and buy Kathleen's book. Kathleen Spencer, that's who you look up. That's the author of Art and Politics and Have Gum Will Travel. It is a fascinating book. If you've never seen the show, I would suggest reading it, looking at that list, and then go find some. Believe me, it's not hard. And Thank you once again for putting together that great list. I mean, all his shows are good, but those are particularly good those ones. Are the, those are the cream, the cream of the crop. Please follow Vegas Never Sleeps on all social media platforms, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks for listening. This is Stephen Manchie reminding you, Vegas Never Sleeps. Have you written a book? You can become a published author with Dorrance Publishing, the nation's oldest publishing services company. Countless authors have trusted Dorrance for nearly a 100 years to bring their book to the market. Our professional team will edit your text, design your book pages, and create an appealing, eye-catching custom cover. Plus, our authors benefit from a custom book promotion marketing campaign that makes your book available where people buy books, like Amazon and -and brick-and-mortar bookstores. So make this free call right now to claim your free author's guide to publishing. Don't wait another day. Take one step closer to realizing your dream of becoming a published author and seeing your name in print. You've already written a book, so the next thing to do is make this free call right now to Dorn's Publishing and get your free guide to publishing. Call right now. Call 800-923-8625. That's 800-923-8625. 800-923-8625. Papa. Why can't we telegraph while riding a horse? Son, there ain't no one to blame but Jeffro. He was riding old Betsy the Stallion, tip-tapping away at his telegraph, when blam! Ran right into the side of the saloon. Well, if Jeffro can't do it, neither should you. Don't text and drive. 
visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Are you tired of high cable TV rates? Sign up for Dish today and get a $500 bonus offer while supplies last. Plus, lock in your price for two years guaranteed. Call All-American Dish, your Dish-authorized retailer now. 800-344-2066. 800-344-2066. That's 800-344-2066. Offers require credit qualification, 24-month commitment, early termination fee, and e-auto pay. Restrictions apply. Call for details. 